the pitch. Swung on, hit it, crushed, and the Phillies are going to lead it four to nothing. A three-run home run for Reese Hoskins, his first postseason home run, and he's sprinting around third base. From WHYY and Billy Penn, it is hitting season, and that is a sound you are likely not to hear anymore. Reese Hoskins may soon be on his way out the door. Hey there, podcast pals. I'm John Stolness from The Good Fight and Billy Penn. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. And, of course, that the Reese Hoskins home run off Spencer Strider in the NLDS in 2022. Uh, some news coming from the GM meetings. And it certainly sounds for all the world like uh, Bryce Harper is going to be the everyday first baseman for this team. And we will be saying goodbye to the second longest tenured member of this team, the beloved Reese Hoskins. We'll get into that coming up here in just a few minutes. Also, the latest uh, news and rumors regarding what the Phillies are going to do with Aaron Nola and what starting pitching options they have out there. Another name mentioned linked to the Phillies on Wednesday. So we'll talk about that here in just a few minutes as well. I'm going to talk to Scott Lauber, Phillies beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer, and get his thoughts on the offseason coming up. We'll do that here all on this edition of Hit and Season. But let's jump right into what Dave Nebrowski had to say at the GM meetings. He didn't have a long talk with reporters, but he did share one important piece of news, and uh, this was first reported. I don't know who first reported this. Does anybody really care who first reported it? But I'm going to give it to Todd Zalecki. He was the first one I saw with it uh, on the timeline. Uh, but he uh, he told reporters that they decided that Bryce Harper is going to play first base. Uh, but he said that Bryce said that he was happy to do whatever the team wanted him to do. He said he would play first or the outfield. Uh, but the more the team talked about it internally, they liked the idea of Bryce Harper playing first base. And then Dabrowski said that he had spoken to Reese Hoskins to tell him about the decision. Harper will be the everyday first baseman. He will not play in right field, so we're not going to talk about a situation where Bryce Harper is going to play some games at first, play some games in the outfield, and, and shuffle around. We're not looking at anything like that. Harper will be the everyday first baseman, and the Phillies see Kyle Schwarber as the primary designated hitter, which essentially doesn't give Hoskins anywhere to play. So I think we all knew that I certainly felt like this was the most likely scenario, that Bryce Harper, it just fit him playing at first base. And even in the limited amount of time that Bryce Harper had to learn first base, he appeared to be a stronger defender at the position than Reese Hoskins became at the position towards the end of his time in Philadelphia. Certainly, we remember the playoffs in 2022. We remember all those big home runs. But one of the reasons the the, the Reese Hoskins home runs were so big was part of the storyline was the fact that he had been making some errors in the field, cost him game two of the NLDS against the Braves. It had been a rough postseason for him defensively and it was not that great during the course of the regular season although he was better in 2022 2021 was a disastrous season defensively for Reese Hoskins and so if you keep Bryce Harper at first base you do get more athletic at that position and that is one of the things that Dave Dombrowski also said having Bryce Harper at first base makes the Phillies a more athletic team. And it's not just having to do with first base. It also has to do with the outfield, and we'll touch on that here in just a second. But Bryce Harper will be the everyday first baseman. Kyle Schwarber will be the DH uh, on a regular basis. It certainly sounds like most days it'll be Kyle Schwarber at DH. So it gets it gets Kyle Schwarber out of left field permanently. Uh, and so Bryce Harper now will be their everyday first baseman, which again signals the end of Reese Hoskins' time in Philadelphia. 
This is not something that anybody was looking forward to. Reese Hoskins is one of the most beloved members of this franchise, maybe in its history. You talk about a guy who had done so much good for the community. His wife, Jamie, had done so much good for the community. Two beloved figures in this town. They're going to go somewhere else, and they're going to make an impact someplace else, and another city is going to fall in love with these two. They, they really, truly are, they seem to be tremendous people. And Reese Hoskins was a tremendous hitter on this team. I mean, for, for all the highs and lows and the ups and downs of Reese Hoskins, and we know that Hoskins was a streaky player. When he was red hot, there were he could carry the team. He was like Ryan Howard in that way. He would put the team on his back when he was red hot, kind of like Bryce Harper does and Kyle Schwarber does. But when he wasn't, it was really hard to watch Reese Hoskins sometimes. But at the end of the day, Reese Hoskins typically gave you 30 to 35 home runs, typically gave you 90 to 100 RBIs, 90 to 100 runs scored, normally hit you around 240 or 250, but had a good on-base percentage in the 330s, 340 range. He was one of the few players in the lineup who wasn't a wild swinger, who didn't chase a lot of pitches out of the strike zone. When Reese Hoskins wasn't going well, he missed in the strike zone. He would just swing through pitches and foul off the hittable pitches. But he was not a guy who I think if we'd seen him in the NLCS against the Diamondbacks, I don't think he would have been one of those guys chasing like we saw Nick Castellanos do, like we saw Trey Turner do, like we saw Bryson Stott and Alec Bohm do in that series. So he will be missed. He was a right-handed power bat for a team that certainly could use a right-handed power bat and a disciplined bat. But it just didn't fit with Bryce Harper at first base. And you didn't want to have to put Bryce Harper back in right field, shift Nick Castellanos over to left field in order to get Kyle Schwarber into the DH spot. Because then you're having Nick Castellanos as your DH if you're going to keep Schwarber in left field. And that just, and, and Reese Hoskins at first base, it just, it makes you so much worse at a few different positions, especially defensively. But one of the things about Reese Hoskins is that We've seen a lot of we we had seen a lot of prospects come and go starting in 2017 and even even in 2013, 2014, 2015, you know, when we would uh, see Michael Franco come up and get excited about Michael Franco or Cesar Hernandez, we'd see Cesar Hernandez come up, Vince Velasquez, you acquire him in a trade, you think, oh my goodness, now that we're we're starting to turn the page here. But it wasn't really until Reese Hoskins came on board that really the 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 rebuild era ended. And they felt like they could start to add. He was the first piece, him and Aranola. He was the first offensive piece that you really had to build a foundation on. And they've since added additional pieces through free agency, but they've added with Bryson Stott and Alec Bohm. And, you know, at some point, maybe next year, Johan Rojas or, or whoever else might be might be coming up. But but Reese Hoskins was was the first guy we'd gotten really excited about in quite a long time. And we remember that home run blitz at the end of 2017 when he just went he came up to the majors and just went crazy he was red hot immediately becoming coming to the big leagues and obviously he wasn't ever going to be able to replicate that he didn't turn into a perennial 45 50 home run guy like it looked like he might be but and 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 i think that that early start by Reese Hoskins skewed people's view of what he was going to be it was unreasonable to expect him to be that kind of a guy. You hoped, but it was unreasonable to expect it. 
But he was, you know, we, we were chasing that with him probably for a lot of his career. And in a lot of ways, he was disappointing. I remember that shift to left field when they put him in left, they tried putting him in left field. That, what a disaster that was. And they, you know, it was a 2018 where they had him out in left field and Carlos Santana at first base. And mercifully, that only lasted one year. But, you know, th- this was one of those things where Reese Hoskins was doing whatever he could to help the team and his bat was still pretty good. Kind of forget about that left field year. But came back to first base, played first base, and and really the, then you had a guy who you could put in the middle of the lineup and you could start building around. And, and Hoskins was that first piece. And that's an important part of his legacy here in Philadelphia. Because one day he'll be on the wall of fame. No doubt about it. And it'll probably be sooner rather than later. And he'll go somewhere else and he'll probably be a DH someplace else. If the Phillies didn't have Kyle Schwarber, sure, you probably re-sign Reese Hoskins to a one-year deal, a prove-it deal for that he'll probably end up signing someplace else and put him at DH. But he just couldn't be the everyday first baseman anymore. Especially when you have an answer like Bryce Harper there. You want a guy at first base who can be a power guy, and that's what Bryce Harper is. It's gonna. The other thing keeping Bryce Harper at first base does is I think it's going to help him health-wise. I think it's going to help him stay healthy. For one thing, you don't have to worry about Bryce Harper throwing his elbow out from right field. You don't have to worry about him re-injuring his surgically repaired elbow, trying to make throws, cutting guys at third base and home plate. That's one thing. We also know Bryce Harper has had some back issues flare up every once in a while. He'd had some back spasms and some back pain. And playing in the outfield is harder on your back than playing first base, if you can believe that. There's less running around out there. So it's going to help out Bryce Harper's defense. It's going to help out his health. It's just better for the team long term. But it is sad to say goodbye to Reese Hoskins because that is what they're going to have to do. So this is the this is the move the Phillies had to make. I think it's the right decision. It's the decision I expected them to make. Um you know, I wrote a piece for Billy Penn saying that, you know, the, the Phillies are going to have a number of decisions to make that are going to have some emotion attached to it. This this is a move. Reese Hoskins was a beloved player in that clubhouse. And I'm telling you right now, Bryce Harper was willing to probably play, go out and play, go out and play right field if it meant bringing Reese Hoskins back. I do believe that this was a Dave Dombrowski, Rob Thompson, Phillies front office decision. This was not a Bryce Harper decision is my guess is my guess. Because my guess is that Bryce Harper wanted Reese Hoskins to come back. And he would have been willing to go out and do it. But there's just, it would have put so many different players in positions that were suboptimal. And that's why they did it. That's why they did it. It was the right decision. And, you know, hopefully we'll hear from Reese Hoskins at some point. But um, he's going to sign someplace else. You know what You know what kind of team makes sense for him is like the Marlins? Team like the Marlins, young team that could use a power bat. They're going to lose Jorge Soler to free agency, most likely. Sign Reese Hoskins on a one-year prove-it deal. That sounds exactly like kind of what the Cubs did with Cody Bellinger. I don't think he'll get as much as the Cubs gave Cody Bellinger. I'm thinking a one-year $10 million deal for Reese Hoskins is probably about what he'll get someplace. So I think it's I think it's one of those things that with him going someplace like Tampa, it's or, or someplace like you know, Tampa's a good spot, or someplace like Miami, Florida, I guess is, is what's rolling around in my brain. Um, I think I think that's likely. 
I think those are good spots for him. I think he'll do well there. Um, but it just, again, makes sense on a lot of different levels. And so now the Phillies have some options in front of them. And this is the other thing it does. It gives them the freedom to be a little bit more athletic in the outfield and go, to go out and get a different type of bat. Maybe a bat that doesn't hit as many home runs as Reese Hoskins would have, but might be a little bit more consistent. There are some different names out there. You heard Justin and Liz talking a little bit about them on episode 742. Some of the different names that could come up. We talked about Cody Bellinger. I don't think the Phillies are going to be waiting in the Cody Bellinger waters because they're going to have to sign a free agent starter. But some names you could you could you could hear. And one of the names that I thought made the most sense was Lourdes Gurriel. He plays a decent left field. He doesn't have a strong arm, but he's athletic enough out there that he can play the position. He hits for a decent average, decent on-base percentage. He hits for a little pop, right? He hit more than like 23, 24 home runs this year for the Diamondbacks. And we saw he's very good in the postseason. He comes up with good plate appearances in the playoffs. He hits line drives everywhere. He's got postseason experience. I, that's, that's a guy that I would certainly be open to. Uh, some of these other names, not wild about Jock Peterson, uh, Tommy Pham played very well for uh, for for the Diamondbacks, uh, but uh, I you know I don't think I want to hitch my wagon to him. Teoscar Hernandez is going to be a DH probably within the next year or two. He's not a real option in left field. I have no interest in Hunter Renf Renfro. I don't really have any interest in Adam Duvall. Jorge Soler is the only other guy I would think about. He's kind of like a Hoskins. He has decent plate discipline. He doesn't chase pitches out of the strike zone. I was looking up his chase rate. It's among maybe the upper third of Major League Baseball, so he's not a he's not a wild swinger. He does strike out a lot, though. He misses some, some balls in the strike zone. But Jorge Soler also is a 30-plus home run hitter, but a lot of the rumors you're hearing is he's getting a lot of interest in different places, and I don't think the Phillies are going to want to go as high on a guy like Jorge Soler as other teams might. So my my preference, I think, would be Lourdes Gurriel, unless they're going to make a trade. I saw uh, one of our writers for The Good Fight mentioned Anthony Santander of the Orioles. That seems like a decent idea to me as well. You you tippy, I, I think you don't want to just go out and get like a, another lumbering bat. If you could go out and you could get... A guy like Gurriel who can move around out there, has some good speed, can play some good defense out there, go and get the ball when it's hit in left field. You can move Marsh back over to center field and have Castellanos in right field. Because it sounds like, and we talked about this after Dave Dombrowski's press conference, that Johan Rojas is going to start the season at AAA. That would be my guess. They thought he was a little bit overmatched in the postseason offensively, and really his regular season numbers were a little bit inflated by some good batting average on balls in play. So... I think the most likely scenarios they go out, I don't think Christian Pache gets the everyday left field job. They're going to have to go out and get somebody if that's the case. And whether it's in trade or whether it's in free agency, putting Bryce Harper at first base allows you to do that. It doesn't lock you into Kyle Schwarber or Nick Castellanos in left field with Harper in right field and one of those guys at DH. Gives you some more options to get a little bit more, to change the lineup a little bit, to add a little bit of a different color to the lineup, uh, and, uh, and and then go from there. But uh, the big news, that's right, the big news, Bryce Harper will be the everyday first baseman for the Phillies, and that means we are saying goodbye to Reese Hoskins, an all-time Phillies fan favorite. Uh, we'll go down in history as one of the team's most popular players, and uh, can't wait for his Wall of Fame induction. And of course, we will always have those postseason highlights. Really is a shame that ACL tear in spring training that he did not have a swan song season with Philadelphia. But, you know, 
at the end of the day, his last season in Philadelphia was a, uh, a trip to the World Series, so, so it could be, could be a whole lot worse. Um, one of the other pieces of rumors, not news, I was going to say one of the other pieces of news, one of the other rumors that came down the pike, uh, something from John Morosi of MLB.com, he tweeted that the Phillies are among the teams interested in free agent right-hander Sonny Gray. Now, Sonny Gray, this would be if the Phillies do not re-sign Aaron Nola, and I got a little bit of heat on the Twitter machine today talking about comparing Sonny Gray with Arenola. And I know the thought bubble out there by everybody is that Sonny Gray isn't nearly as good as Arenola. I think if you look at the numbers, you can't really say that. I think we're forgetting kind of what Arenola's season was here in 2022 and, and how he has struggled over the last couple of years and in a couple of the last few years. Aaron Nola's ERA the past five seasons, 3.87, 3.28, 4.63 in 2021, 3.25 in 2022, and 4.46 here in 2023. Sonny Gray's ERAs the last five years, 2.87, 3.70, 4.19, 3.08, and 2.79. I know ERA is not the end-all be-all, though. So I'm not just, I'm not, it's not the only thing I'm citing. Sonny Gray is about three years older than Arenola. So he's probably not going to cost you more than four years on a deal, would be my guess. If I'm the Phillies, I don't go five years on Sonny Gray. But if, if Sonny Gray, if you need a four-year deal to get to get that done, uh, I think that's fine. Um, I also know that, you know, he's, he was, uh, he, if, if there is a, um, a Sonny Gray signing in Philadelphia, it would reconnect him with Caleb Cottom. They worked together while Cottom was a, an assistant pitching coach in Cincinnati. Uh, they were also uh, teammates at Vanderbilt. So uh, Caleb Cottom would have a lot of familiarity with Sonny Gray. Now, there's a lot of concern about you know whether or not Gray would be able to hold up in the National League East. He, he's been pitching in the American League Central uh, for, well, at least last year with Minnesota. He pitched in the National League Central. Before that, he was with, uh, actually in 2022 and 23. He was with Minnesota, a 308 and a 279 ERA those last two seasons. Now, he only pitched 119 innings in 2022. 24 starts, 119 innings, dealt with some um, dealt with some arm issues, but led the American League in fielding independent pitching last year at 2.83. He was legitimately good. 0.4 home runs per nine. He gave up, he gave up eight home runs on the season, the lowest home runs per nine innings in the American League. Now, people are going to also talk about the fact he's been in the league for 11 years, and he has 1,571 innings already racked up on that arm. And that's a lot. That's a lot. But if you look at Aaron Nola's innings, it's not a whole lot less. 1,422. So if you take 1,422 from 1,571, if I'm doing the, I'm doing the math real quick in my head there, that's about, let's see, 1571 minus uh, 1422. That's about 150 innings. So that's basically one extra season of Sonny Gray. Uh, one extra season one extra season for Sonny Gray, if you're looking at innings pitched. So it, yes, he's older. Maybe he'll break down a little bit sooner than Arenola. And if you're asking me, would I rather give Arenola a seven-year deal or an eight-year deal or Sonny Gray a four-year deal? 
I'm not so sure that Sonny Gray isn't the better option there. Sonny Gray has been the more consistent pitcher. Now, again, the injury in 2022 is a little bit worrisome. Um, he he has not. He had a couple of 200 innings in 2014 and 2015 with Oakland, but since then, 117, 162, 130, 175, 135, 119, uh, 184. So last year was the most innings he'd pitched in a season since 2015. So there's questions there. Of course there are. There's questions about Aaron Nola. He's got a lot of mileage on that arm. But Sonny Gray would be a decent option. I also think that Blake Snell would be a different option, a, a decent option. And of course, Justin and Liz talked about Blake Snell and everything um, last year. Now, I know that I don't whether or not you like what Howard Eskin, I don't know, say what you want about him. I worked on his radio show back in the late 1990s and early 2000s as a producer at WIP. I've always liked Howard. Nice guy. I, he was always... Nice to me, and I think he's pretty well plugged in into what the Phillies as an organization are thinking. And this week he came out with a couple of nuggets that could indication give it, at least one indication that could give us uh, um, an indication of what they're what they're planning to do. And he said that he believes that people inside the organization are pessimistic they'll be able to re-sign Aranola. He has said that Blake Snell could be their target. Both could cost over two hundred million dollars over seven years, eight years, or whatever. He also uh, tweeted something up before Dombrowski uh, made his comments to the press that he was told that Bryce wants to play first base and that he's going to play first base, which eliminates Hoskins. So uh, Howard Eskin was right on the money on that one. So I think the feeling, and I, I get it, the feeling inside the inside the Phillies' uh, front office is they're pessimistic about being able to sign Aaron Ola. I think somebody out there is going to give him a contract the Phillies aren't going to want to give him. And so... I, we've already, it looks like we're already going to lose Reese Hoskins and there's a very strong possibility. We're also going to lose Aaron Nola. It will be the end of an era. And I did see Ranger Suarez then would then, would then become the, the longest tenured Philly at that point. Kind of strange to think about that, isn't it? Uh, but if they lose Aaron Nola, they're going to get somebody, whether it's Blake Snell, whether it's Sonny Gray, whoever it might be. Uh, Sonny Gray makes a lot of, makes a lot of sense when you think about the connections, uh, to Caleb Cottom. And uh, it, it, although I, you know, I was reading an MLB trade rumor story about this, uh, and it does sound as though uh, Gray is not necessarily looking for the top money deal. Now, Gray did get a qualifying offer, so the Phillies would have to give up a draft pick, but the Phillies generally don't care about that. But Gray had previously acknowledged that, quote, money is not the ultimate factor for me in free agency. He professed his affinity for pitching in the Twin Cities, um, but he's not going to sign the qualifying offer. And it doesn't sound like the Twins are going to match what he could get on the free agent market. So Sonny Gray is likely gone, and I think the Phillies are certainly um, a, a viable candidate given the connections to, to Caleb Cottom. So, um, so yeah, so that's the those are the latest rumors, at least here on Wednesday, as uh, we are recording this podcast on Wednesday night. And uh, joining me to talk a little bit more about the offseason is Phillies beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer, Scott Lauber. Scott, welcome back to Hitting Season. How are you? I'm doing well, John. How are you? I'm doing great. It's good to talk to you again. I think the last time we talked was before the season started, and obviously the Phillies had World Series aspirations, and they almost got there. They, they, one win away from getting back to the World Series for the second year in a row. And I think what a lot of us are wondering, especially those of us who aren't in the clubhouse and in the you know around the players all the time, is following that loss to the Diamondbacks, 
are there any lessons learned you know like are there any takeaways from that collapse that you think the organization has gotten or that the players have gotten or that we should be seeing or like is there something that i guess is there something that needs to change in order for this team to get over the hump however big that hump might be is there something just fundamentally that needs to change or get fixed or is this just simply some kind of some bad luck yeah, I think there's some probably some playoff randomness to the to the whole thing, but I, I do think that's it's important to to take a look at the last really five games of the series against the Diamondbacks and and to draw some conclusions from it, uh, not to overreact to it. Um, I think what you heard from Dave Dombrowski after the season was over was that they weren't going to overreact to a five game sample, nor should they. But I do think that they recognized that they were exposed a little bit. Um, you know, some of that you have to you have to give credit to the Diamondbacks. They regrouped mm-hmm. after game two. They changed the way they were pitching the Phillies. They executed uh, the plan that they had and um, and they did it very, very well. And they they neutralized really what I thought was the, the hottest lineup in baseball through game two of the of the division series. So what you want to do is sort of say, well, what went wrong? You know, what did they do? And I think one of the things that they did was they exposed the Phillies um, tendency to chase. We saw it all year long, right? Mm-hmm. They would, you know, they have the kind of uh, some hitters um, specifically, you know, guys like Nick Castellanos and Trey Turner who tend to chase pitches out of the zone. It doesn't mean you've got to go get rid of Trey Turner and Nick Castellanos, but maybe it means you've got to balance your lineup a little bit with more hitters who don't chase as much. Or maybe you don't, you know, I mean, I know that they looked at things and they see Kyle Schwarber's not a guy who chases. Um, Bryson Stott, generally speaking, not a guy who chases. Alec Bohm doesn't chase that often. Bryce Harper, not a huge chase guy. So they do have guys who draw walks, who do understand the strike zone and don't chase. So I do think that they're going to take a look at it and say, well, how much of this was, you know, five games where the offense went cold at exactly the wrong time and how much of this was avoidable? Yeah, and I think what you're saying is right, especially with Stott, with uh, Stott and Bohm. They they typically don't chase, but we saw in the playoffs, especially Stott, they did start to chase, and that's where the mental aspect of things started to creep in, right? I mean, once once the once the series got tight again, and the and the Phillies realized, oh, this isn't we're not going to just roll right right through these guys. It seemed like it seemed like any any chasing that the Phillies may have done previously was exacerbated by maybe feeling the pressure, which is disconcerting to see because this was a team that went through the the gamut last year. They were playing a team that had very little playoff experience, and yet it was the Phillies who looked like the team for whom the moment was too big. And so I think if you're talking about like, well, how do they balance the lineup? How do they, how do they make it so that you don't have so much chase in the lineup? Maybe do they have to take somebody out of it and and make a trade and do something different? And I know a lot of folks look at Nick Castellanos and you're not trading Trey Turner, you're not you know trading any of the other guys. Castellanos feels like the the easiest lift out of the lineup and put somewhere else, but easier said than done. And who do you get to replace him? So I guess that's the question: is like if you want to get more balance in the lineup, how do you do it? It's a good question. And, you know, you talk about Castellanos being sort of the guy you would you would lift up, up and move out. But there's 60 million dollars there that he's owed for the next three years. And so you're going to have to pick up quite a bit of that money or, or maybe all of it. And I don't think you want to be the one who pays him to play for another team. So it's not like he's a bad hitter. It's not like he's a he's a uh, he's a liability in your lineup. You just have to balance it out with 
um, with with other hitters who are not like him. And and I think that they can I think that they they may have that and and they can do that. Where I'm most interested in seeing how this all fits together is, you know, the second half of the season, their defense was much better in large part because they had Johan Rojas in, mm-hmm. in center field. The only guy that I've ever covered in close to 20 years of covering Major League Baseball that I that I can think of who comes close to Johan Rojas's defense was Jackie Bradley Jr. with the Red Sox. And mm-hmm. in a similar situation, Jackie's bat always lagged behind his his glove. And we always used to ask that question covering the Red Sox, like, what's the minimum that Jackie Bradley Jr. has to hit? <laughs> Yeah. To be in the lineup, you know, is 230 enough? Is 250 enough? You know, is, is you know, can you get away with like less than that? Can you get away with 220 with the defense that he plays? And I think, I think they're probably asking a lot of the same questions right now about Rojas. When he came up, the, the big question that Dave Dombrowski had for his player development people was, you know, is he going to get exposed uh, offensively? And they said, no, we don't think so. And if you look at it, for most of the time that he played, in the regular season, he did not get exposed. He hit 300, maybe have been a soft 300, but he hit 300. Uh, he did not look overwhelmed. I think about you know him getting hits against David Bednar in Pittsburgh yeah. late in the game and hits against Spencer Strider. Uh, he could obviously handle velocity. So they rolled with him in the playoffs, and that's where he got exposed because the pitching gets much tougher and the scouting reports get much more uh, detailed when you've got now three months' worth of viewing of, of Johan Rojas that teams could do. And and so that was obviously a scenario where he got exposed offensively and you need more than what he gave them in the postseason. So, you know, but his defense was so good and it did sort of change the way the Phillies played. Now all of a sudden Marsh moved over to left field and uh, the defense in the outfield became as good as any team out there. And I think they won some games because of their defense in the outfield. And, you know, so if Bryce Harper goes back to first, uh, goes back to the outfield, if he stays at first base, still an open-ended question. Um, you know, how do all the puzzle pieces fit if you keep all of these, these, these guys together? And um, so there's a lot that goes into it. And I, I think, I think they've had off seasons where they've had tougher decisions to make. It just, you know, now that we're in the moment, we're talking about this roster at this time, it feels like they have a lot of big decisions. I don't think that's the case. I think the, I think the core of this team is very much in place. I think it's going to be in place for a while, and I think they're going to be contenders for many years to come. It's whether or not they can sort of overcome some of that postseason randomness at times that I think the Braves are probably sitting there saying the same (laughs) thing. We've got a really good team. There's just one team we can't beat in the postseason. How do we get over that? So uh, I think the Phillies are kind of in that bucket right now. Yeah, you're talking tweaks and and you're talking really the mental aspect of the game too, which I mean that that's some you can't really fix that by going and getting new people. Just it's or you could, but I mean you're you're right. You're kind of locked in with this group here in, in 2024. And I thought one of the underreported differences between the Diamondbacks and the Phillies was the production that the the Diamondbacks got from their number nine hitter Perdomo as opposed to to Rojas. Perdomo came up with a number of big hits in that yeah. series, and you know Rojas adds one or two hits at, at an important time, and it's a totally different series, and so. Um, yeah, and, and I know we're trying to move past that that series, but you know, I, I think too as you're as you're looking to make changes to the lineup, and I want to get to Aaron Nolan the pitching in just a second because I know that's kind of maybe we're burying the lead a little bit here, but the offense seems to be the thing that cost them the series, and so do you see the Phillies going out and, and prioritizing getting a bat in free agency or in the trade market, or do you kind of see them riding what they have in 2020, like what they had in 2023, with the possibility of Hoskins being added? Yeah, I think some of it depends. It depends on Hoskins, which depends on Harper. It depends a little bit on um, on 
you know, whether they get any nibbles in the trade market. I think it depends, too, on Aaron Nola, because if you don't re-sign Aaron Nola, you've got to replace Aaron Nola, and that might require making a trade. So, um, you know, I think the Nola decision looms large because it's their priority, in Dave Dombrowski's words, and it has to be their priority. So, um, you know, if you bring back Nola, maybe you can get more creative with your offense and figure out a trade that makes you a little bit less uh, chase oriented and 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 less swing and miss oriented. Maybe you can be creative in that way, but if you don't replace, you know, re- if you don't resign Nola, that's got to be your priority. Is how you replace mm-hmm. him, and maybe you run back the same offense because you've got to look in other ways to help your pitching. So let's talk about Aaron Nola since since you mentioned him. What are the like? What is the likelihood you think he's back next year? So I got asked this the other day, and I said, you know, I, I guess I, I give the Phillies more than a fifty fifty chance, and I, I say that only because. Think about the last five years in free agency, um, you know, and think about the players that they have targeted as their number one priorities. Um, ever since the Harper Machado offseason, when they made the decision that Harper was going to be their guy, they got him. The following offseason, it was Zach Wheeler. They got him. Following offseason, it was JT Real Muto. Resigned him. They got him. Following offseason, it was Kyle Schwarber. They did it. And then last year it was Trey Turner. They did it. So John Middleton has a way of getting his man in free agency these last five years. And so if Aaron Nola is as much of the priority as they say, then I think you'd be foolish to bet against them uh, in terms of putting their money where their mouth is and going out and getting them. But as Dave Dombrowski said last week, and I thought it was a pretty uh, uh, a pretty honest answer, um, they wanted Aaron Nola back in spring training, too, and couldn't work anything right. out. And now he reaches the, the market for the first time in his career, and he gets to see what his value is outside of Philadelphia. And maybe there's a team out there that's going to just bowl him over and bowl the Phillies over. And maybe there's a line that they don't want to cross, and maybe they don't cross it, and maybe he goes elsewhere. And then they have to scramble to go find someone. So I give it better than a 50-50 chance because their history is they get the guy they want, and I do think if push comes to shove and, you know, the best offer for Aaron Nola is not astronomically better than what the Phillies were intending, I do think they'll pony up and, and go get him. Uh, and I think they'll worry less about length and they'll worry less about the back end of the contract because that's been their MO, right? They yeah. worry less about Trey Turner for 11 years because they think that um, if Trey Turner ends up at second base or somewhere else, uh, that they'll have a shortstop ready uh, to replace him in time. And I think with Nola, if it's six or seven years, it's not going to make you comfortable. But you might also be able to look the other way when you think about um, the fact that by then, by the middle of that contract, Andrew Painter, Mick Abel, who, who knows who else uh, might be there. So that makes you a little bit less uh, nervous mm-hmm. to go long with NOLA if you're not worried about what long with NOLA looks like in the second half of the contract. So there have been a couple outlets. I know Howard Eskin mentioned it uh, yesterday. Um, we heard uh, Bob Nightingale of USA Today talk about the Phillies uh, if, if they have to pivot away from Aaron Nola, and those two seem to think that it's more likely that they will have to pivot away from Aaron Nola, that the name you hear connected to the Phillies most is Blake Snell, that that's the guy that they have the most interest in. Have you heard that as well? And what are your thoughts on alternatives to Aaron Nola if they aren't able to resign him? So, you know, obviously you pivot to the other free agents in the market, right? Whether that's Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery. um, Sonny Gray's out there. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, Sonny Gray. I don't think Yashinobu Yomamoto is is on there, is is necessarily on their list. But, you know, 
he's not not on their list. Can, you know, can I ask just... you a question about that specifically? Yeah. Like, because I was on my list of things to talk about. You have this 25 year old Japanese phenom here. The Phillies never, ever seem to be a part of any of the discussions or conversations when it comes to these Japanese imports, a, a high priced Japanese import. Do we get a sense as to why? Do they have like a is there like a philosophy in the organization where they're just not interested? No, I don't know why. It's a great question and and worth worth looking into because it's it has spanned multiple front offices now. It's not yeah. just the Dave Dombrowski regime. It's not even just the Matt Clentak, Andy McPhail regime. It goes back before that. Like I think about the Red Sox, who I used to cover, right? They were out there signing Dice K Matsuzaka, and you know, that was during the Ruben Amaro regime here. So uh, it's multiple regimes, and it's it's not necessarily. I don't think that they've never been in on any of those guys. It's just that they've never been willing to, you know, take the plunge really for any mm. of the big ones. And I don't know whether it's uncertainty over how a player's success over there translates here. I don't know. I don't think it's an organizational philosophy because, as I said, it's uh, there have been multiple philosophies in that time. So, um, but you know, he's twenty five, and and he's a guy who's going to get a ton of interest. Yamamoto, this is mm-hmm. because. He's uh, because of the age and because of the success he's had in Japan. You look at his numbers over there and holy cow, um, it, it's it's better than most pitchers who we've, we've ever seen come over there. So uh, I saw him in the World Baseball Classic. He's awfully good. So, uh, you know, he's going to be a guy who generates a lot of interest. But you're talking about NOLA alternatives. And so, you know, it, it you, you pivot to Blake Snell, you pivot to Jordan Montgomery, you pivot to Sonny Gray. Um, and then you pivot to the trade market. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe that's one of the areas that they look into. Um, you know, there are issues there, too, because you have to give up assets to get Corbin Burns or Shane Bieber. And then you have to sign those guys. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're sitting here a year from now with that guy and Zach Wheeler as free agents. And what do you do then? Can you keep them both? So, um, you know, they're going to I'm sure that they're going to go in a lot of different uh, directions and and uh, and have a lot of different plan B, C, D, E and what and whatnot. If Nola goes elsewhere, I will say with Blake Snell, like if you're not going to meet Aaron Nola's price, uh, are you, you going to meet Blake Snell's? Because he's you know, I know how Scott Boris is positioning Blake Snell, like um, fewer innings on the arm than Aaron Nola has. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and so he's going to hold up better and, you know, less tread on the arm and all of that. But there's a reason for that. Like he hasn't been able to be as durable as Aaron Nola over the years. And so I, I, I tend to think that, you know, if it's Snell versus Nola and if they've got to push it a little bit to get Nola, they're going to go with the devil they know rather than the devil they don't. And they're going to go get Aaron Nola back. That's a fair point. And so the last thing for you here, you mentioned the trade market could be an area where the where Dave Dombrowski really focuses if the free agent market doesn't move to his liking. And we've seen a couple different stories where it sounds like GMs are talking more about position players in the trade market at this point in the offseason than is typical. But with regard with what the Phillies regard to what the Phillies would give up, is the shine off of some of their top pitching prospects, some of these guys who were untouchable last year, would they be after the season that they've had with Andrew Painter, Mick Abel, Griff McGarry, some of those guys, do you think there's there's a, a higher likelihood they could move one of those guys this offseason than maybe they were willing to do last offseason? Um, I, I don't know. I, I think I think Painter's probably off the table because of the injury, right. as well as as you know, whoever would acquire him wouldn't be acquiring him for next year. So um, you know, I, I kind of put him in his own category and I think he's been untouchable all along and remains that way. Um, Abel, I think is still, I think you're going to have to, um, I, th- I think it's going to have to be an extreme circumstance for them to trade McAbel. I think they still like him a lot. I think they envision him as somebody who could maybe help at some point next year, probably not at the beginning, but maybe by the middle. Um, 
McGarry's interesting because you're right. They've they've not wanted to trade Griff McGarry. He had a bad year this year, and now his future might be in the bullpen. And you wonder whether, you know, the time has passed to really maximize Griff McGarry's value on the trade market. Maybe it would have been better to trade him a year ago rather than now because, you know, the acquiring team is probably looking at him a little bit differently, just as the Phillies are looking at him, I think, a little bit differently. So um, the shine is probably a little bit uh, a little bit duller on him uh, in particular. Um, but, you know, I, I, I keep looking at center field, right, because it's been a Dave Dombrowski um, um, sort of trademark to trade from areas where he views um, that there's depth or surplus uh, he tends to deal from areas where players are blocked at the major league level. That's one of the reasons why he agreed to trade Logan Ohapi because they had JT Romuto. And I think of center field, and I think now of you know how long were the Phillies looking for a center fielder, and now they just seem to have a ton of them. Whether it's Marsh, <laughs> Rojas, Pache, Justin Crawford is in the minors on the way. Simon Muziati is still in the minor leagues. He had a very good year in AAA this year. I do wonder whether they look at that as sort of a surplus area and whether they could take one of those guys and and maybe um, put them in a package for something that they feel like they need. If they feel like they end up needing a starting pitcher, uh, if they feel like they end up wanting to change the mix offensively, um, one of the, one, you know, one of those guys could maybe go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I understand why, um, you know, people are looking at uh, teams and I've heard the same thing. Teams are looking and talking trades more with position players because look at the free agent market. Yeah. It's really Cody Bellinger and, who else? Right. So <laughs> um, with all due respect to like Reese Hoskins, you know, I mean, it's it's Cody Bellinger and a steep drop off right now because Hoskins missed the whole year. And because, you know, there's just not a whole lot else out there. So I understand why teams are talking about trading position players. Uh, I'm sure the Phillies might get some some nibbles on some of theirs because they have some good ones. And uh, it just I don't know if they're going to be a fit in the trade market with anybody, but with Dombrowski, you never rule it out. Well, like you said, this team needs to get a number two starter, whether it's Aaron Nola or somebody else. And then you're kind of tweaking the the roster after that. And we'll see what Dave Dombrowski is able to do here over these next few weeks and months. And we'll be reading your work in the Philadelphia Inquirer because you'll be covering it all. Scott Lauber, Phillies beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Thank you so much for coming back on Hit and Season. I really appreciate it. Oh, anytime, John. Thanks. And that'll do it for this edition of Hit and Season. And folks, make sure that continue to listen to this podcast, even though there's no Phillies baseball. The hot stove, the rumor mill is in full swing, and we'll keep you updated on everything going on with the Phils and uh, possible new players coming to this city here in 2024 to finally get this team to help this help get this team over the hump back into the World Series and get that parade down Broad Street if the Eagles don't beat them to it first in, in the Super Bowl. But uh, we don't care about the Eagles on this podcast. It's a Phillies podcast only, everybody. want to remind you also to check out billypen.com slash season. That's our landing page over with our good friends at Billy Penn. Uh, you can also check out my work at The Good Fight. Uh, I wrote an article about Blake Snell this week, so you might want to check that out in addition to the work we've got going on over there at Billy Penn. And you can also check out our Patreon by going to patreon.com slash hit and season. we got lots of bonus content up for you there as well. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hit and Season. Hit and Season.